I'm grateful to be with you this morning. You know, I just want to dive right in. There's a word within so many of our churches that has kind of lost its meaning. Uh, it really needs to be redefined or, or maybe rebranded. The, the word is really simple. I'm sure you've heard it. The word is community. Uh, that word, community, is such a buzzword that we have forgotten what it actually means. Or even more so, we've forgotten what it could mean or maybe what it was intended to mean. Community, uh, when we think of it, uh, oftentimes it, we think of being face-to-face or in the same room, somehow sharing space with one another. And, and that is true, but it could be so much deeper than that. I remember um, in the midst of this pandemic, someone saying the word community to me, and it felt like an attack of sorts. It felt like that word was, was taunting me. Because I will admit we need it more than ever, and yet it feels more elusive than ever before. Community is not something that is optional. It is something that we need desperately. Psychologist Eric Erickson is quoted saying, Life doesn't make sense without interdependence. We need each other. And the sooner we learn that, the better for us all. I don't know about you. I don't feel very interdependent in this season. In fact, if I'm honest, I feel pretty isolated, alone. Like it's kind of all up to me to figure this out and make it happen. With this in mind, I want to take some time with you this morning. And I want to look at one of my absolute favorite stories in Scripture. It's found in Mark chapter 2. And listen, as we read through it, as you go to it and find it in your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I want you to be on the lookout for where you see and feel community as we go through it. And then as we move forward, we're going to lean in a little extra and unpack more of what it means. So, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging a hole through it. Then they lowered him. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Did you catch it? Such an incredible story, right? Now, I got to tell you, I've taught this passage many times over the years. And just about every time I've taught it, uh, I focus on the, the trust that it must have taken for the man on the mat to allow these people to carry him, to, to be so vulnerable in that moment. Oftentimes when I talk to friends or people in church about this passage, we identify with the man on the mat. And it makes total sense. He's the primary focal point of the story. He's the one that, that wasn't able to walk, and then all of a sudden, miracle in front of everyone's eyes, he stands to his feet and walks out the door. Makes sense to identify with him. 
But let me encourage you this morning to try something a little different. Let me encourage you this morning to identify with the friends who carried the paralyzed man to Jesus. Imagine the conversation that would have happened before making that journey. One friend walks into a room of friends and family and he says, and he says, there is a rabbi that heals the lame and he brings sight to the blind. And I hear he's going to be in Capernaum. We've got to go see him. And these friends, they take it upon themselves to, to take their friend, a man who couldn't have made it on his own, and to carry him to where they heard Jesus would be. Amazing. I imagine walking with my friends. Are you sure he's going to be there? I, I don't know, man. I, I heard he was going to be there. Uh, I, I think it's kind of the only shot we've got. And we arrive after a little bit of time. And, and to our dismay, the home where Jesus is, is so crowded that there is no way to even squeeze past to get anywhere near Jesus. Imagine their disappointment. We came all this way. Now, what are we going to do? And then someone speaks up. Now focus on this person for a minute. He points up. Because the houses of the time, they didn't look like our houses. They were typically made out of, out of dirt and clay and straw. He points up and he says, I bet we could dig through that roof. If we really want to get him in there to Jesus, I bet we can hoist him up and make it happen. Now, let's pause for a second there. I am a firm believer that every friend group has what I would refer to as the wild friend. Maybe you are, in fact, the wild friend. If you're thinking of your friend group and can't figure out who it is, maybe looking in the mirror because it could be you. I know in my friend group, oftentimes I end up being the wild friend. But I imagine it has to be that kind of person that would stand there in disappointment and look at all of the friends around him and say, let's dig a hole in that stranger's roof. What's more crazy than that? They do it. The people that he's with decide, sure, why not? They climb the roof of a home they did not own. They, they, they do everything they can with all of their strength. They hoist their paralyzed friend up onto the roof and begin to dig to where they believed Jesus would be. Imagine being in that house. Imagine us standing there while clumps of dirt are falling around you. Imagine owning that house and realizing that you were getting a skylight you did not order. I don't know about you, but I'm in need of friends like this in my life. I'm in need of a community that will gather around and lift each other up. Maybe in your life you can think of a time where it felt like everything was closing in around you. And no matter how hard you worked, no matter how hard you pushed, you just couldn't make any headway until someone came into your orbit. A friend, a family member, community. And they lifted you up. I can think of that in my own story. I, I don't know if you would know it now, but growing up, I was a really angry kid. 
Like, I was one of those kids that, that like, in, in your school, in your youth ministry, like, you should want me in there, but you didn't because I was so disruptive and so disrespectful. I was known for fighting. And it wasn't until I met in high school, in my junior year of high school, I met this group of students and their youth pastor. And somehow they, they pushed past this barrier of anger that I had. You see, at the time, I, I just seriously didn't understand Christians. It felt kind of weird to me to call yourself a Christian. That is until I met these people. And I saw the way they loved Jesus with everything they had. I saw the way they loved each other. And I experienced how they cared for me. How they, they didn't let my barrier stop them. You see, uh, it wasn't until I met them that I understood what it meant to be a Christ follower and decided to give my life over to it. And more than that, decided to, to give my future over to being a part of it and being that for other people in ministry. It was as if they had lifted me above their shoulders and brought me to a place that there is no way I could have entered on my own. Maybe you have an example like that. Maybe for you, uh, you recently lost a job and it just felt hopeless. Maybe a, a relationship just was torn down and you, you feel alone and, and like there's no way out and, and, and you are in need of people to be around you or you've experienced what it's like to be lifted up in a season you couldn't do that for yourself. I think today we are in uh, need of this more than ever before. <laughs> when we're so um, unclear of what community looks like and it remains this buzzword where now we can't always be in the same room. And even in those seasons that we could, we allowed community to be this once a week experience that we just kind of walked into rather than contributing to. Notice that these friends who, who carried the paralyzed man to Jesus, notice that they never asked for anything from Jesus for themselves. I, I don't know about you. That, that would be a, a tough opportunity for me to pass up. I mean, uh, hey, Jesus, you know, since you're in the healing mood, you know, my back's kind of acting up. Or, or, hey, on the walk here, I stubbed my toe. Or something's going on with my, with my son, and I, I really love for you to pay attention to the thing that I need right now. But they don't do that, do they? No. They had come for their friend. It says in verse 5 that Jesus saw their faith, and he was healed. <laughs> it doesn't say that he saw his faith because this man couldn't have gotten there on his own. It took his friends. It took his community. You see, community is what we need more than ever, whether in the same room or not. We need to be individuals that raise each other up. It is more than a casual gathering. It is not something that we turn off when life gets difficult or scary. Community is a lifestyle that we choose time and time again. 
In his book, Irresistible Revolution, Shane Claiborne shares a story from a, a season where he volunteered with Mother Teresa at the House of the Dying. And it says that he noticed her feet right away when he, when he got there. I mean, imagine, I, like, I'm completely enamored with Mother Teresa, have read all of the books around her life, just, just think she's incredible. I can't imagine being there and the first thing I noticed being her feet. But that's what he notices. But he didn't muster the courage right away to ask her what had happened. So a week goes by and another. And finally, uh, he, he, he gets the courage and he asks, not her, but one of the other nuns that was uh, working there with her. And they said, uh, what, just what's going on with, with Mother Teresa's feet? This nun smiles, he says, and tells him a story. She said, every few months we get a shipment of shoes delivered here for everyone that's volunteering. And without fail, Mother Teresa runs as fast as she can to be the first one to choose out her shoes. Now, if the story stopped there and you're like me, I'm kind of a shoe person, maybe you would think, well, obviously she's running to get the best pair of shoes, but no. She goes on and she says she wants to be first so she can be sure to get the worst pair of shoes that were donated. And year after year of wearing the worst shoes have deformed her feet. Community. Putting the needs of others above your own. Their win is your win. To be like-minded. My question for you this morning is if you were to really be honest with yourself and you were to do a little bit of an assessment as to how you were doing, I, I, would, I would wonder where you would fall on that scale. How are you doing when it comes to being a bringer of community? In what ways has fear caused you to turn inward in this season? How has inconvenienced allowed you to forsake your community? You've gotta understand, we have been conditioned as a culture to look out for number one. We have been taught at a young age to fight for what is ours. That is not what Jesus intended community to be. As a community of believers, we have the power to literally pick people up and bring one another to the feet of Jesus when they can't get there on their own. We are in need of this kind of community today. This community that you are in is in need of someone like you being that kind of friend. Church, let us be people who choose one another. Let us be people who in the midst of difficult circumstances where it is easier to choose isolation or self-preservation, let us choose community. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are and the way that you challenge us to be more than we are today. Help us to, to learn from and, and emulate these friends who would be so bold to carry those that can't get there on their own to the feet of you. Father, we love you. 
We praise you for the way that you are moving in this community. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.